The same Lord who is limitless, immutable, imperishable, free from any for any attributes or limitations. He alone is everything. And how is everything? Very often the question is, is God with attributes or without attributes? We say God is everything. <coughs> and how is everything? He tells us, Subhavaha. Hey, your own I am manifest in yourself as your very self, as your very being. And therefore, he is manifest here in myself as my very self. Adibhutam Sharobhavaha. Your body, which is constantly changing, subject to change and is perishable. Adibhutam Sharobhavaha. That is also myself, that is the perishable expression of me. I alone am manifest as your body, which is perishable. Purushascha adhidayavadam. So, I have a gross body and I have a subtle body. You know this? You know, uh, gross body, subtle body and the self. Uh, to explain this, we give the example of a fan, in which we see the outer casing consisting of the blades and the casing, 
and in there there is a motor and that motor is powered by electricity. No doubt the source of energy is electricity. However, the energy of electricity is first imparted to motor and it is a motor that revolves and that rotation of the energy is passed on to the outer casing and the blades. <coughs> so we can say that this blades, outer casing is comparable to the gross body. This is what, what we see. Inside there, there is motor, motor comparable to the subtle body. And all of this will be sentient, will moving only when there is electricity, which is in the place of the self or the spirit. It is called subtle body because we don't see it, but it is there. And as we will also have a chance to discuss, so that is what actually keeps this gross body sentient. Just as it is a motor, which is a required link in order for the fan to rotate. If the motor is removed from this fan, then even though we have electricity and we have the fan that is blades and everything, the fan does not rotate. <coughs> Similarly also, even when the gross body is, and even when the self of the spirit is, if the subtle body departs from this gross body, then that link which passes on the, this energy or the sentience of the self to the gross body is no more there, and therefore this gross body becomes insentient. This is what we call death of the body. So what is called death of the body is the disassociation of the gross body, subtle body from the gross body. This is what departs from here. <coughs> and it is that which transmigrates from one gross body to the other gross body. It is also called the jiva. What is often called soul is nothing but the subtle body. What does the subtle body consist of? It consists of the mind, intellect, the sense organs, that whole complex is called subtle body. It is subtle because it cannot be perceived by our sense of perception. So whatever can be perceived by the sense perception is called gross and what cannot be perceived by them is called subtle. Therefore this body which is made up of the modification of food is called gross body because we can perceive it by our senses. However, as I said, inside this there is a mind. There are subtle sense organs, there is a sprana, the vital energy, all of this is there which actually keeps this gross body sentient. We cannot see it, but we know it is there. This is called the subtle body. <coughs> and of course, even subtle body also is inert by nature. Gross body is inert by nature, even subtle body also is inert by nature in as much as it doesn't have its consciousness of its own. But the consciousness that is the self is first reflected by the subtle body, so subtle body becomes enlivened, and that is then that consciousness or sentiency is passed on to the gross body, and that's how the gross body becomes sentient. Just as in case of a fan, the, the power of electricity is first passed on to the motor, it becomes enlivened, and that energy is then passed on to the blades, something like this. <coughs> And so that subtle body is required to keep this gross body sanctioned. Similarly imagine there is a whole gross creation. 
Yesterday we were talking about the body of the Lord. Imagine the whole universe as the body of the Lord. So what we perceive is what we call the gross creation of names and forms. But we see the whole creation also in motion. It's dynamic. So there must be something that imparts the dynamism of the motion to these gross things. And that is what we call the totality of subtle body. Just as I have an individual subtle body. Similarly also there is a totality of subtle bodies which keeps the whole universe dynamic and going. So Lord Krishna says, Lord says that the subtle body also I am. This is called here in this fourth verse it is referred to by the word Purushaha. Purushaha. There are several meanings of the word Purushaha. One of the meanings is Purishayanath Purushaha. One who dwells in the body, in the city is called Purusha, the city of the body. Someone who dwells in the city of the body is called Purusha. In that sense, that subtle body which dwells in the city of the gross body can be called Purusha. It is that subtle body which is responsible for the functioning of the gross body. <coughs> so, the gross body is that which is subject to change constantly and subject to de- decline and deterioration, that is called Sharabhava, the perishable expression, Lord says, that also I am. Purushaha, the subtle body, because of which the gross body is sentient, the subtle body also I am. And as I said, subtle body is subtle. It is what receives the consciousness. And therefore, it is called, sometimes, it is called Deva, or the effulgent. Just as in the dream state, the, in the dream state, the whole dream world is nothing but made up of parts. And so, it is called effulgent. So, subtle body also is effulgent. Because it receives the consciousness of self, and therefore, very often it is called Deva or God, because it is effulgent. As we also said yesterday, the subtle body consists of the organs of perception, organs of action, the mind, intellect, all of these are effulgent. All of them control their respective functions, therefore, therefore also they are called Devas or Gods. So Lord Krishna says, that world of subtlety or Gods also I am, at the individual level as well as at the cosmic level. Adi yajnyo hamevatra dehe dehe bhrutamvara And hey Arjuna, that yajna also I am. A yajna or a sacrifice is taking place in this body, that I am. And yajna or a sacrifice is taking place and in the whole universal body, that of science. Yesterday we pointed out how every limb in our body performs what you call a yajna or a cooperative effort. That every limb, like for example, this organ of speech right now is speaking not for itself, but for the sake of the self. Right now your ears are listening, not for themselves, but for you. The hand is lifted, hand moves up and down or does whatever it does, not for itself, but for the self. The legs move, not for themselves, for the self. The eyes bring in the knowledge of colors and forms, not for themselves, for the sake of the self. And the parrot brings various kinds of taste, not for themselves, again for the sake of the self. So this whole thing is described as yajna. As though all these devatas, that is all the organs of perception, organs of action, as though constantly they are bringing different gifts in forms of different perceptions and different activities to the devata, the Lord, who is a self. 
So constantly they are performing yajna. What is yajna? When you make an offering into the fire, as, I mean, as offering to the devas or the gods. Similarly also, a god is seated inside the, inside the heart, and all these devatas, meaning the organs of perception, the faculty of hearing, faculty of touch, faculty of seeing, faculty of taste, faculty of smell, all these devatas bring the perception of their respective objects and various experiences and offer them to the self. The organs of action, the organ of speech, the hands, the legs, the, uh, the regenerative organ, the organ of rejection, all these also perform the respective functions for the sake of the self. See, nothing works for itself, it works for the totality. Every cell also functions for the totality and not for its individual self. So this alone is called the spirit of yajna, where one is dedicated to the totality rather than individuality. Quite opposed to what we are taught today, that individuality is important. But the beauty, if if this happens, suppose everything is, everybody is devoted to the well-being of the totality. Is it not that the individual will be automatically served? If you when everything, every, every limb of the body, every cell of the body is dedicated to the well-being of the whole body, then each limb and every cell is automatically served in turn. On the other hand, if each one stands for himself or herself, there is always competition and fight and struggle and conflict, as you said. If the two legs were in competition with each other, this body could not survive even for a few minutes. Suppose there is a competition, body could not survive. Body survives and there is harmony because there is cooperation. The universe survives. And every time we talk of the harmony, they talk, they always point our attention to the disharmony of the human society. But the human society is the one insignificant part of this whole universe. And that does not represent the universe. Look at the whole cosmos. However, all these galaxies and millions and billions of all these different elements, how they are all functioning, all of them in harmony. Because there is a spirit of cooperation and not competition. Of course, we are not talking about management and nobody is going to listen to this anyway. But still, you must know that whenever we are promoting a spirit of competition, it is that which is contrary to the obtaining order. When we talk of order, as Swami is talking about, that there is an order in this universe which holds the whole universe in harmony, because of everything is held together in harmony, that order is not one of competition, that order is one of cooperation. And therefore Lord Krishna teaches also to imbibe that spirit in our life, the spirit of cooperation, which is what he calls yajna. And there is a, a Vedic hymn called Purusha Suttam, which describes how the whole universe is in fact created from the whole principle of yajna. And how even today also constantly a yajna is going on, a cosmic yajna, and a cosmic offering, cosmic cooperative endeavor, or cosmic sacrifice is constantly going on, and that is what maintains the harmony. That is called dharma. So this morning Swami talked about dharma, a moral order. That also is there, that also is based on what we call cooperation and not competition. <coughs> this whole business of competition just goes against our nature. It cannot but create conflict. It cannot but create stress. 
it is very convenient for people in uh, who have vested interest to Im- to inculcate the spirit of competition in people so that they can get the most out of them that is fine it's convenient it may be convenient to get extract the most out of a person by by invoking in him that spirit of greed so this competition is based on greed because the person is not satisfied with what he or she has and the greed is really glorified here and that's what motivates the person to get more and more and get more than someone else and at the cost of someone else that's all violent whenever i achieve something at the cost of someone else it is violent i am not physically violate somebody but there is violence when a big corporation swallows a whole small one and puts 500 people out of work it is violence of some kind but anyway as i said uh, this is the if human mind had worked on this principle of cooperation and developed a whole system of economics and politics and so- society and everything else it would have been a wonderful thing there would have been world with minimum conflict but we are encouraging as i said greed we are encouraging lust we are encouraging passion we are glorifying them it has become a big business to invoke lust to invoke passion right from the children and people make money at at the cost of all this by invoking all these lower impulses and all of these are permitted in the name of liberty and freedom and whatever you call it which is all right and anybody who listens to this would brand this person as an orthodox and close minded and whatever it is but all we are pointing out is that what is required for harmony to obtain is a spirit of cooperation and not competition is it not everybody's experience that even in the home also um, a husband and wife when can when can there be harmony even between two persons suppose they compete with each other which sometimes they do they ask this child hey baby whose boy you are your mother's boy or father's boy looks like a joke but inside inside they mean it you know sometimes i don't know but so when this kind of a spirit of competition one is jealous of the other you know most people are talking to her and then to me and then things like that you know so moment this competition business comes it destroys the harmony it destroys you know that that relationship only when there is cooperation the spirit of giving spirit of accommodation spirit of offering but we are afraid to define by that spirit of offering what will happen to me i'll be a pauper i'll be exploited as i said if everybody follows the spirit of offering and everybody also becomes a recipient so this is the whole idea behind duty in the concept of duty it is the the interest of the other one that comes first before my interest service before self you know this is what is the rotation service before self anyway the interest of someone else comes before my interest <coughs> all this teaching goes so much against what is being taught today in the schools and everywhere that this there will be a tremendous revolt when this is being said but as i said i'm sure that all of you have sufficient experience of what happens uh, or what the spirit of competition does and then this would make sense but as i said this is called yajna ari yajna hume vatra dehe dehe bhutamra hi arjuna oh most exalted among human beings 
I am that principle of yajna, which is present right in your body, Dehe. And also is present in the whole universe. So what is present in the Deha is called yajna, what is present in the universe is called karma. Because it's that, it is that uh, un- like cosmic karma or cosmic sacrifice that keeps this whole cycle of uh, the whole wheel of creation moving. <coughs> so Lord Krishna says, all of this I am. Now you, we have to point out what is it that is he is not. All devatas also he is. All the devatas means gods, that is sense organs, mind, etc., the subtle body in this upadhi, in this body. Is all the devatas are cosmic forces, forces at the universal level, the total level, like the sun and like the moon, and like the earth and water and space and fire and all of these elements, all of these are called devatas. And that also I am. This presiding deities of all these functions, they are called devatas. They I am, the elemental creation I am, the devatas who control the creation, that also I am. And so I am all pervasive, I am immanent. I alone am this whole universe, it's called adhyatma at the individual level, adibhuta at the elemental level, adhideva the divine level. So universe consists of these three things, three principles, adhyatma, Individual, Adibhuta, Elemental, Adhidaiva, the Divine or the Cosmic Forces. And all these three play the role in every transaction. For example, I see you or you see me. When is it possible? We were talking yesterday. First of all, my eyes are illumined. There must be light in my eyes. If that is not there, I cannot see. And therefore, there is something that provides me that light. Again, the objects that I perceive are also illumined by the light. And so, I is called Dhyatma, the light that is here is called Dhyatma. The light that is here which illumines the objects, the objects are called Adhibhuta. And the sun that illumines it all is called Adhidaiva. Adhyatma, the individual, the, the seer, perceiver. Adhibhuta, the objects or the elements that are perceived Adhidaiva, the sun, that facilitates this perception to take place by illumining the objects, illumining the eyes. <coughs> hearing also, that you have the faculty of hearing, that individual and the obtaining the individual is called Adhyatma. The sounds are heard, that is called Adhibhuta. And there is a principle called the space or the dick or the quarter that makes it, makes the transmission of sound possible, that is called Adhidaiva. So this is the model given to us to understand the functioning of this universe and our interaction. Adhyatma at the individual level, Adhibhuta the elemental level, Adhidaiva the cosmic level or the what we call the divine level or the level that controls all the various phenomena. <coughs> That's all the whole universe is Adhyatma, Adhibhuta, Adhidaiva. There's nothing else. Lord Krishna says, I am myself manifest as this whole universe consisting of the individual, elemental and the cosmic expressions. In that, I am present as the very yajna, the very spirit of cooperation that is that pervades everything. In that, I am the very karma, that very spirit of cooperation is expressed as an actual activity, that karma also I am. And naturally, therefore, I am also the one that, that is karma adhyaksha, the one that, that controls, supervises 
or that that presides over the whole activity karma phaladata and the one that dispenses the result of actions all this i am <coughs> and thus lord krishna says i am everything six questions have been answered seventh question of arjuna was prayana kale cha katham nyayosi niyatatmavihi o lord how are you to be known by the, at the time of death how can one make sure that you are there in my mind even at the time of death so now lord krishna proceeds to answer that question in the fifth verse अंतकाले च मेव अंतकाले च मेव स्मरन्मुक्वा कलेवर स्मरन्मुक्वा कलेवर यति सद्भावति सद्भाव याति नशय याति नशय antakale cha cha and antakale at the time of death yah prayadi davanu departs kalevaram tejan kalevaram muktva giving up this body mame vasmaran remembering me sahamad bhavamyati which is my nature astinatra samshaya regarding this there is no doubt lord krishna says at the time of death at the time of death when this whether this one this jiva this individual soul departs from this body with remembrance of god lord krishna is remembering me meaning remembering god he reaches me meaning he reaches god या अंते मति ही सागति ही व्हाट दिस सेज इज एंड द नेक्स्ट वर्स विल टेल अस इन मोर जनरल टर्म्स दैट व्हाट वर इज माय लास्ट थॉट और व्हाट एवर इज माय लास्ट रिमेंबरेंस दैट इज व्हाट डिटरमिनेट्स माय सब्सिक्वेंट डेस्टिनेशन नंबर 1 दैट देयर इज अ डेस्टिनेशन नंबर 1 दैट देयर इज अ डिपार्चर फ्रॉम दिस बॉडी सो immediately it is clear that the self is different from the body because it departs and it says that it becomes one with god so that is the true nature something can become one with the god provided that compatibility is there otherwise you cannot become one the soul the individual self can become one with god provided there is compatibility between the self and god so lord krishna says this person becomes me if at the time of death while departing from this body he departs remembering me <coughs> how how do we remember god that is why he said in all the previous verses who all i am really if you understand god the way it is explained in these two verses the verse, verses 3 and 4 there should be no difficulty in remembering because he said that wherever you look whether your eyes are closed whether your eyes are open my eyes are open what am i looking at yeah i am looking at this creation made of these elements who is it 
Adibhutam Kshorobhava. This whole elemental creation which is subject to change and is subject to ultimately which will perish, this perishable elemental creation including my own body which is subject to change, Lord says, I am that. That's all. So whatever I am looking at, whatever I am interacting with is nothing but God. All the time I am interacting with God. Can you believe that? Question is, where is God? Answer is, where is God not? Because whatever is there is nothing but God. For me, this is God. I am willing to even accept that maybe this flower, God can be this flower. But there are some people and some things. It is impossible. For me, there is God in there. This person is God. And every time they ask this question, it has also become fashion to ask this question. Swami, if God created this world, then why is there evil? Of course, the Vedanta is, what do you mean by evil? But accepting that there is an evil, we will not take it to that point, but accepting that there is evil, yes, we experience that. Yeah, we see cruelty there, we see injustice, we see these things. How can there be God in that? The point is, is the evil that we see, such as injustice, cruelty, no doubt it is there. We ourselves become, you know, victims of those things. And we also might be, you know, very often displaying those things too. But is that the true nature of that thing? <coughs> or is it merely a superficial appearance of a thing? The evil that we experience or that we see, is it really the true nature of the thing or is it an incidental thing, attribute? This is what we call an inherent nature and there is an incidental attribute. And for this we always give this example or we can give you another example or some more, you know, something that you can see. There is this crystal. This is clear, colorless. That is its true nature. Now if it happens that this flower is placed beside the crystal, how does the crystal appear now? Pink. Or let us say if you had this napkin here, now the crystal looks yellow. I guess it looks, does it? <laughs> I'm not sure sometimes that it does or does not. Right, now it does. Or now it looks pink. So it's pink, yellow, and any kind of a color you can hold. And the crystal appears to possess that color. But the color that appears in the crystal, is it the inherent nature or is it an incidental attribute? It is incidental attribute. And the, even therefore, even if you see the crystal is yellow or pink, you will not take it as yellow. You will not take it as pink. If you know the crystal, if you did not know the true nature of the crystal, you will take it for granted that this object is yellow, or this object is pink, or object is orange, or whatever, red. But if you knew, then you would know that this orange, yellow, pink, etc. are only the incidental attributes, in which sometimes poor crystal doesn't have even freedom. Something happens, you know, to be there, associated with it, and so it looks. Anyways, or another example, this is a very evident example, but another example is that of a, sand, a piece of sandalwood. Sandalwood is fragrant by nature. But if sandalwood is placed in water 
for a few days, then the outer surface of sandalwood gets rotted and it starts stinking. So now we have a piece of sandalwood which is stinking. That stink is evil because it stinks. Is the stink the inherent nature of sandalwood or is it an incidental attribute? The, the stink which obtains on the outer surface has not changed the nature of sandalwood. The sandalwood still remains fragrant, but the fragrance is obscured by the superficial stink. And it does require an effort to bring that fragrance to manifestation, the effort in the form of rubbing that sandalwood against stone. When the outer surface is rubbed away, revealing the fragrance which is its true nature. And similarly also, those people, and all the evil is only in the human, there's nobody who is evil. Even the evil thing, if you want to use that word, that obtains only in the human society. You can't say tiger is evil. You can't say, oh, this cat is evil, you know, just killed a rat. We don't say that, because we know that it is nature. That, this is, that, that is how it is designed. And that is its food. And we know that all the members who are in this creation, other than human beings, all the creatures, they always take from nature what is necessary and no more. And they also give to the nature. They, they always follow the rule of give and take. That when this creature, when one creature makes another creature its food, it also is available to become food of yet another creature. In that sense, we have what we call that ecological balance is maintained and therefore we would accept that that death also is, is an inherent requirement of creation but only when the death is there, the unknown birth is possible. Therefore, death also is inbuilt in Thus, when we see one creature making another creature its food, we don't see anything wrong in it because we know that is a scheme of, that is in the scheme of the thing. That's not called evil. However, a human being when he does, it becomes evil because he doesn't have to do that. <coughs> so that, and this evil comes in human being because he has a free will. And whenever the free will is abused, then it brings about all these what we call evil tendencies such as anger and greed and cruelty and all these things are there when the free will is abused. Thus, wherever we see this evil, it is a product of abuse of free will. Which abuse also is due to ignorance again. Why should one abuse the free will? Rather than using the free will to my benefit, why am I abusing it? Ignorance. Not knowing what is good for me. Not knowing what is in my own, my own interest. And therefore, by abusing my free will, I think, you know, not only I am abusing others, I am abusing myself also. So all of this shows ignorance. But even that also is not the inherent nature of the person, that is also the superficial attribute. And that's the reason why the, that can be dropped. By proper effort, a person can become free from cruelty. If the person decides to change, of course. And if there is a proper guidance, then it's possible to drop the likes and dislikes, possible to drop anger, possible to drop cruelty. But regardless of what you do, you can never drop your compassion or love. That is always there. Even that very cruel person also sometimes demonstrates compassion. Or love for his own little child. Compassion at least for his own body. 
and so they are there all those the inherent qualities are there like the fragrance is there in that person fragrance in the form of as you say love and compassion and charity it's all there but it becomes so obscure because of the superficial cruelty and therefore the evil is not the nature it is merely an incidental attribute and there also god is very much there in what form in the form of the same love and compassion and charity that those noble things are still there but it, it's very difficult of course i will dis- not disagree that it is rather difficult to see it there if we can develop that kind of a, a composure of mind let us say if i can develop that balance of mind then i can right away disregard this outer appearance and am able to appreciate or perceive the inherent quality i will able to see god if my concept of god is he must be always loving and compassionate and kind and benevolent benevolent everybody has this and i will able to see if i am able to discriminate between what is superficial what is inherent so from what lord krishna described everything is god in some cases it is rather evident in many some cases it is not evident to us thus when i am in the midst of mountains and lakes and forests and nature the divinity is quite evident or when i am listening to some nice piece of devotional music or when i am in a place like a temple or a church or a place of worship where there is certain atmosphere or when i may when in presence of some person who who has really matured or purified then this this divinity becomes even evident to us but in many places not evident not because it is not there because it is obscured or that we have not developed that sensitivity to be able to perceive that so what we have to do is to cultivate that sensitivity to perceive the divinity or god who is everywhere and what this means is that everything is inherently good everything is inherently beautiful inherently everywhere there is harmony even though outwardly we do see disharmony we do see evil we do see cruelty and injustice inherently but to be able to perceive that obtaining harmony or beauty we have to prepare our mind construct our mind <coughs> which will be able to drop the superficial and we will appreciate the inherent <coughs> so all of this teaching is so much required to be even able to remember god antakale the next verse will explain how is it possible to remember god at the time of death but lord krishna says if at the time of death this automatically accepts that there is a rebirth so there is something beyond this birth this takes for granted that there was a previous birth and there is this birth and there is the next birth so continued of life is accepted here people have problems with that of course swami how can you prove that there was a previous birth can you can you prove there was previous birth you cannot prove if you could prove there would have been no debate at all we can only point out reasonability of the previous birth and reasonability of the subsequent birth in short we can point out reasonably how there is continuity in life continuity of life 
we know if you observe the nature we are we, we have as we study in our schools also we are quite familiar with what we call the law of conservation law of conservation of mass or law of conservation of energy that means the mass or energy they never get destroyed they always remain in one constant only the forms keep on changing but that there is no really destruction of mass or energy mass and energy summation and that way if you look in the nature there is no such thing as birth and there is no such thing as death as such when we say birth it is not that something which was non-existent comes into existence or by death it is not that something that is existent becomes totally non-existent it doesn't happen because then that law of conservation would not work so all we, what we mean by birth is what was in one form now manifests in another form and what we call death is what is in a manifest form now becomes unmanifest or goes into another form so birth and death as far as matter is concerned are nothing but change of forms this is something that we know so even a scientist also would have no difficulty in accepting continuity of matter matter energy there is a problem in accepting continuity of life I don't know why if matter can be continuous why cannot life be continuous and we have less difficulty in accepting that because for us matter is a medium for expression of life for them life is the attribute of matter for us so they would say that you know the, the consciousness is a product of matter when the matter some chemical combination takes place and consciousness is created this is what they believe what we say is that what we call the matter is the medium of manifestation of consciousness and so in consciousness also there is what we call continuity as there is in matter but how come now you find that the body is not conscious if there was continuity in consciousness how come the body has become insentient as you said the body has become insentient not because the consciousness has gone away but because the subtle body which transmitted consciousness from you know transmitted sentiency from consciousness to gross body that subtle body has gone away and that is why this body has become insentient but the consciousness is very much there even in the insentient body in what we call the dead body the consciousness is equally there except that we always equate consciousness with sentiency sentience is not that consciousness is there what is the difference between the two the sentience is there wherever there is subtle body and sentience is not there where the subtle body is absent like this table for example where the subtle body is not there the consciousness does not manifest as life and here where the subtle body is there the consciousness manifests as life so what do you call sentience and may simply manifest as light in a bulb and may manifest simply as heat in a heater and so the manifestation of electricity are different because the appliances through which it manifests they are different and similarly also the same consciousness the same intelligence same asti bhadi priyam same brahman or same god manifests himself or herself or itself through what we call a sentient being as well as insentient being 
the difference is in what we call the upadhi or difference is in the personality the presence or absence of the subtle body if subtle body is present then that brahman expresses as life subtle body is not present brahman expresses as just existence the stay we discussed what is brahman asti bhati priyam asti is bhati shines priyam is attracted so in what we call the insentient object the asti is most predominant business when you come to the plant kingdom then slowly and slowly that sentience also becomes evident and when you come to the human being the sentience the intelligence is the most uh, expression is the, the most exalted but then it is the same principle same brahman or god manifest through all this and therefore there is a continuity of consciousness also continuity of intelligence continuity of life also and therefore what we call birth is nothing but one that same subtle body same life now being associated with another gross body what we call death is disassociation with that gross body so this body is sentient because that subtle body is associated with the gross body when that association will come to an end when the subtle body will depart from here this body will become insentient if it enters another body that will become sentient we will call it birth so what we call death here disassociation association another gross body we call birth this is how transmigration takes place this is not the most important thing in the world anyway for vedanta if you don't believe in it doesn't even matter because we are really concerned about this life but to understand the life it is necessary to understand our life it becomes necessary to understand the continuity of life then alone we can explain also the continuity of our struggle Thank God that life is not really confined to a span of 50 or 75 or 80 years. It, and therefore, even this struggle for freedom or moksha is not merely confined to this 50-80 years. It would have been very frustrating. What happens if I could not accomplish in, accomplish in this lifetime? Am I doomed forever? No. You continue. That search continues in another embodiment. If that did not get fulfilled there, we will continue yet another embodiment. and thus what we call the soul or the jiva the individual self continues its struggle for the freedom through one after the other embodiments and the next verse will tell us uh, what will be in the next embodiment will be but this verse tells us that if at the time of death what is in my mind is god then i become one with god in short i become totally liberated when i become one with god i become one with infinite or limitless then the struggle has come to fulfillment of fruition and therefore no need for any further embodiment antakale cha antakale at the time of death cha end this cha is important end is end at the time of death what do you mean end at the time of death end at the time of death that means while living of course while living and at the time of death so if this person remembers me while living and also at the time of death but how can you remember god at the time of death do you know what happens at the time of death 
Lord, what a struggle is going on inside. And then the, the, the prana, the life wants to depart from this body. I want to, I want to retain it. A tremendous struggle is going on and it's a very painful struggle also. How is it ever possible to remember you at that time? That would be only possible when there is a remembrance throughout the life. Not just remembrance, but an intense remembrance. Such an intense remembrance there throughout the life that the intensity of remembrance continues even in the struggle of her death. I mean, you can imagine that possibility. Usually we can see that the struggle is so powerful and so painful that it is not even possible to remember anything. But still people remember. At the time of death, hey, what happened to my son? What happened to my business? Something that is extremely dear is remembered. So that which is very close to my heart, that is very dear to my heart. It is possible that something can be so dear or close to my heart that it is more important to me even than my life. Sometimes it is possible. There are people who give their life for a certain cause. There are people who give life for, for their country, life for a certain cause. There is only possible when that cause has become more important to them than even, than even their life. Similarly also if for a person, for a devotee, if God becomes more important than anything else including his life, well, then that is what we remember at the time of death also. Antakalesha. <clears throat> and Lord will tell us, Lord Krishna will tell us how to do that also. But how can it, how can we assure that there is going to be remembrance of God even at time of death? That is possible only when we live a certain kind of life which involves this constant remembrance, this constant understanding. But Arjuna asks this question, Prayana kale chakatham gnyayosi niyatatmabhi niyatatmabhi by those who, whose self is totally focused under control, whose mind is totally under control, how can those yogis with the mind totally under control, how can they achieve you even in a time of death? Lord Krishna said, if that yogi remembers me at the time of death, which means that if he has lived a life such that even at the time of death my memory becomes predominant, then he will achieve me, then he will liberate me. <coughs> and this applies not only with reference to remembrance of God, it applies for any kind of remembrance, which is what we are told in the sixth verse here. Yam yam vapismaran bhavam Tyajatyante kalevaram Tamtame vaiti kaunteya Sadatad bhava bhavitaha So here Lord Krishna tells us the general rule yam yam vabhivavam smaran whatever yam yam whatever bhavam smaran whatever he remembers tyajati ante kalevaram giving up his body at the time ante at the time of death kalevaram tyajanti tyajante giving up the body in short at the time of death when he is giving up the body whatever be the nature of thought 
tam tameva eiti kaunteya. That alone he reaches he kaunteya. So whatever be the last thought, that is what I become after the death. <coughs> that is why in India this last thought is very important. That is why the, the relatives and all those people make sure that when the person is dying, then they all the time and sometimes loudly repeat or chant or recite the name of God so that he hears and that he departs from his body while hearing and remembering God. <coughs> Many stories are also told in a scripture called Bhagavatam. There is a very famous story of a person whose name was Ajamila. Once upon a time Ajamila was a very pious person, a devotee of the Lord. But at some point in time in his life he fell into wrong company and ultimately really so much fell from his path of virtue that he was totally, I mean you know, he, he even uh, used to go to prostitutes and stuff like, stuff like that. And like this he had a son. His, the name of the son was Narayana. And this Ajamila was so fond of his son, was so attached to the son, that while he was dying, his son was not around. And so Ajamila called out, Hey Narayana! Hey Narayana! Where are you? Narayana! Come! Hey Narayana! Hey Narayana! This is what he, he, he shouted out. And that is how he gave up his life. Now this person was, had done, you know, had so much abused his free will that he was only destined to go to hell and suffer the consequences of what all he had done. This is all story. And so the, uh, well it is story means this is described because every time we say something 1500 question, what do you, what do you mean by hell and what is what? Oh, we'll, we'll answer them perhaps in the question and discussion. But there is this Yamaraja, there is a lot of death. And he is the, he is the presiding deity of this hell, where people have to go through the consequences of all the abuse of the favor. <coughs> that means they suffer the pain. One good thing about the hell is not a permanent hell. Having settled the account by suffering the consequences of his sins or abuse of free will, he gets a chance again. There is no eternal condemnation. But anyway, he has to definitely go through that painful experience within hell. And so the messengers of the death were ready. They were all here waiting for this fellow. Moment he departs from his body, they would catch hold of him and take him to hell. But what happened is, at the time of death, Narayana, Narayana, Narayana. He was calling his son. But Narayana happens to be the name of Lord. So he heard that. He said, hey, he told his messengers, hey, here is one of my devotees calling my name. The messengers told the Lord, oh Lord, he is not calling your name. He is calling his son. Lord says, no, no, Narayana is my name. It is my name before even his son was born. It is my name. It is nobody else's name. He is calling me. And therefore, you go and bring him here. And so the last moment, the messengers of Lord Narayana also came there. So here are the messengers of that death and messengers of Narayana. And these fellows drove the other fellows away 
and took him to Vaikuntha. They took him to the abode of Lord Narayana. Just by residing at the last moment, Narayana, Narayana, Narayana. This, as a, this and similar story has a very powerful impact upon the people, the psyche of the people. And that is why they want to make sure that at the time of death, I remember God. <coughs> In case he is not to remember, we recite loudly the name of God so that the person, departing person hears that name. But this is, I don't think we should plan for this kind of thing. So don't worry, I will recite Lord's name at the time of death. I don't worry right now. Why worry now? People say, why bother about this? Why do you go to this Guru Kalam at this young age? Oh, when you are done with your life, when you are 60, 65, then you can go. When you are ready to retire. So they think that at the time of, at the age of 65, because they think this is merely a pastime of people who have nothing else to do. And of the people who are good for nothing else also. I guess that's what they believe. And so when you become good for nothing, then this is good for you. This is all right, for a pastime. And so Gurukulam is a good place for that's why people, they, old people say, can we come and live here? But in fact, this is a very demanding thing. You know very well in, in, in the course of these two, three days, how demanding it is, how difficult it is to keep awake even, and to keep the mind alert. And Swamiji, I listening to this, I at the end of the month, at the end of the hour, my head becomes very heavy. So you don't want to, you don't want to fall asleep or you don't want to doze off and you want to be alert and you know that you want to listen and understand and then you do, you do exhibit that alertness, becomes very heavy. In fact, this requires a mind that enjoys an alertness. It requires a mind that has a commitment to grow. It requires a complete change or transformation of a lot of things that we do in our life. Vedanta gives us a complete transformation of perception of life a transformation in our priorities, a transformation in our values, a transformation in the whole composition of mind, and to do that requires a tremendous amount of commitment and energy. And people wait for 65 when there's no energy to do anything, <laughs> and so what will you do? No, this is to be done right away. And similarly also it is not that at the time of death I'll remember Narayana, Narayana, things will be all right. There is no way that a person can determine what the last thought will be. In fact, that thought presents itself. For example, do I have the freedom to determine what will be my dream tonight? Although we write on our pillows, sweet dreams and things like that. Nobody can assure that the dream is going to be sweet. What will be the dream? What will be the predominant thoughts in my mind based on the various experiences during the day or you know the days in the, uh, in the near past so that predominant thought is what will become automatically present will present itself in my mind and that is what will determine what the dream is going to be otherwise it will be nice if we could determine what the dream would be it we can always plan so tonight, Swamiji, I'm going to go into a nice restaurant. Tonight I'll go to this movie. Tonight I'll go to Niagara Falls. Tonight I'll go to Rishikesh. But you can, we cannot do that because I do not have control over what the thought will be in the dream 
the thought automatically presents itself. In fact, I do not even know what my next thought is going to be. And therefore, I have no control over what my last thought is going to be. And therefore, it is necessary that I must maintain a certain thought pattern now when I am conscious that in order to assure that at the last moment a desirable thought will present itself. <coughs> okay, we will continue our discussion. Om Purnamadaf Purnamidam Purnat Purnamudachyade Purnasya Purnamadaya Purnameva Vashashyade Om Shanti 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 Shankaram Shankaracharyam Keshavam Badarayanam Sutra Bhashyakrutau Vande Bhagavantau Punafpunaha Ishvaro Gururatmedi Murti Bheda Vibhagine Vyoma Vatvyapta Dehaya Dakshina Murtaye Namaha Om Shanti 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 Harihi Om Shri Gurubhyo Namaha